first reading may be found on page 1058 in the Church Bible and on the screens. It's Luke chapter 22, verses 24 to 34. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I will tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. This is the word of the Lord. This reading can be found on page 1085. 1085 of the Bibles beside you, as well as on the screen. Uh, Jesus is nearing the end of his ministry on earth, and he's explaining things to his disciples, and now he turns to pray for himself. John chapter 17. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you to glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with love before the world began. With the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. 
For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to be to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me, and I have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of the Lord.
Father, thank you for the love, the worship, the prayerfulness, the compassion that you have set in this place. And thank you for the um, propulsion to faith and to uh, the knowledge of your love that it has been and is today. Now, by your Spirit, help us to perceive more clearly Jesus in our lives on earth and standing for us in heaven, and to be built up and encouraged by that knowledge in his name. Amen. Well, good morning, and uh, good morning again to um, many of the usual suspects, if I can put it that way. It's, it's uh, very nice to be here, and thank you for inviting me. By coincidence, uh, Jill and I were in, in pool last week in the church in Branksome Park, where um, I worked after leaving here. Uh, I lived here. I worked there, you understand. Um, and uh, Susie, the church warden, kindly uh, drew the congregation's attention to the fact we were there and said that I was the previous vicar and not the old vicar. And so thank you, Mike, for following that example this morning. Well, you have had a summer series, you're having a summer series on, on prayer, Jesus and prayer, and um, in it you come to the word intercession this morning, Jesus, our intercessor. Within the two passages that have been read, there are about five sermons, and I've got time for about half a one, as far as I can make out this morning, if you're going to finish at quarter to um, uh, one. (laughs) Some years ago, Jill and I went to a play in the King's Theatre, in which you could see the action taking place as usual in front of the scenery on the stage, And you could also see it happening behind the scenery uh, as well. So as the actors left the stage, they would carry on talking to one another and saying, this is a pretty miserable lot that's in here tonight, isn't it? And, oh, I wonder how long this is going to last. Are they going to miss their cue again? Come on, get to your entrance. You're not going to be there in time. And all the time the play was going on in front of the scenery as well. So you had this in front and behind view of what was happening. And it was hilarious. Um... Being proud, I didn't ask Jill what the name of the play was, but if you do want to know, she is here, and she'll be able to tell you afterwards. It was a bit like a past prime minister visiting Rochdale, which was the place that uh, we lived and worked in before we came here some years ago, a past prime minister who had had arranged for him to, to meet a lady in the parish, and who, getting back into his car afterwards and not realizing that he was still on air, said, goodness me, who arranged for me to be introduced to that bigoted woman. And as a result, you may well remember both his name and the fact that he got a good deal more publicity than he bargained for. Or like the vicar, famously forgetting to switch off his mic at the end of the service and saying, I'm glad that's over, let's get home for lunch. Mike, of course, is spelt M-I-C, not M-I-K-E, unless you know different. Well, the idea of Jesus, our intercessor, speaks simply and plainly of the fact that there is a man in heaven representing you and me and praying for you and me today. Christ represents us. He asks and brings his requests and our requests to God for us, for the sake of his glory and because that is his ongoing ministry. 
To us, it's a little bit like somebody behind the scenes whom we can't see. We're conscious that we're in life, we're in the action in front of the stage, on stage itself. But it seems to us very often that Christ is behind the scenes and that this life can be sharp and painful, as we've heard and know, beyond measure and beyond the measure that I and perhaps most of us have ever experienced. But that um, behind the scenes, there's a comfy place called heaven where Jesus is sitting having achieved everything through the cross and his resurrection, and waiting for us to arrive as well. Well, in actual fact, it's not quite like that. Christ was our intercessor and representative here on earth, and that work culminated in his death on the cross, where he offered selflessly, sinlessly, and perfectly the one sacrifice of himself. And that ministry of representation and indeed of intercession, standing before God for us and speaking to God on our behalf, continues in heaven itself. So that puts a new aspect on it. I've always found the idea of Christ our intercessor a little bit difficult to get hold of. But I've been thinking as I've been preparing for this, if it is fact, it must be very important to get hold of. And therefore a little time spent with it can only be beneficial. I did wonder, though, whether Mike saw the series and thought, hmm, this is one for somebody else. Um, I suppose that's what I used to do, and now it all comes home to roost. (laughs) Now, I want you to stay with it this morning. I'm going to refer to four Bible passages, two we've had read and two we haven't. I shan't be very long speaking about each one, but I want to volunteer uh, to remember what each one is and then we'll have them just sung back to us again at the end. So a volunteer just to remember the first passage, and it's one of the ones that we've had read. Just a volunteer, a hand. Well, in that case, John Gray, he will help me. (laughs) John, I want you to remember uh, Luke 22. Luke 22, and Jesus and Simon Peter speaking together here. Jesus is telling Simon Peter that he has just prayed for him. He says to him, Peter, Simon Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. He wants to give you a thorough shaking. But, says Jesus, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now we get so quivery and shaky at the idea of Peter having the, the sifting and the shaking. We think, well, I'm glad he had it, and that means we don't have to have it. Well, it doesn't work quite like that, because this is... Uh, the powers of darkness competing for, fighting over uh, uh, Simon's life. And afterwards Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. There's a ministry of intercession. Jesus praying for Peter in what is going to be for him a critical time. And when you've turned back, Peter, and there's the evidence that the prayer will be answered, be confident. When you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. There will be work for you to do. Soon afterwards, you will know, I expect, that Peter was uh, questioned by a servant girl, merely a servant girl, outside Jesus' trial, and famously denied his Lord three times. But later, in answer to Jesus' prayer, and by the grace of God, Peter turned back in repentance after the resurrection of Christ and went on to encourage and strengthen his brothers and sisters in their discipleship immeasurably 
and again and again. So there you are. Luke 22, Jesus prays for an individual. And his name was Simon Peter John, just in case that's slipped your mind. Now secondly, here's the next passage. Now we're not even going to get to quarter to one if I don't have a second volunteer. So, second passage. Just someone to remember a passage for me. Just to remember a reference. Well, David, you're breathing as if you're about to speak. So, thank you very much. Um, John 17. John 17. And this is the thing to remember, that Jesus prays for himself, for his disciples, and for the church to be. He prays for himself. As Tony rightly reminded us as the reading began, he prayed first for himself, spent a long time doing for that, doing that, then for his disciples, and then for the church, which would be. And it took until verse 15, until he actually got a prayer together for the disciples. And the prayer was, if you noticed, in John 17:15, that they would be protected from the evil one. Sort of echoes of the prayer for Peter, really, wasn't it? Pray for the individual, now praying for the disciples, the, all of them as a group, that they'd be protected from the evil one. And also, in verse 17, he prayed for their transformation in holiness and into the likeness of the perfection of God himself. The word used here is sanctification. So if you want to sum it up, it's sanctification, but it's talking about the transformation of their human lives into the likeness of Jesus himself. He knew how vulnerable they were He knew how much the Holy Spirit would transform them for their good and for his glory. And uh, for the coming Christians, eventually Jesus prays in verse 21 for oneness, for unity. Not because it would be rather nice to see everybody belonging to one church or having uh, exactly the same view of what faith was, but that as they all were identified, believers across the ages and down the ages and across the world, all identified with the one Lord Jesus Christ, man and God, dying on the cross and risen from the dead, the unique way to God, they would bring glory to God himself. People would say, ah, here's the unity these Christians have. This is the evidence that there is truth and that Christ is the truth. For he is in them, and he is inspiring them. So for God's glory, not for their comfort. So there you are, David. That was, that was it. Jesus prayed for the church to be, and you and me. And it was John 17. Now this is getting much harder as we go on, because the next, um, the next chapter we haven't heard of this morning. So need someone with you know, real brains and a good memory. Better than mine, in this case. Quite simple. Somebody? No, 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 Mike, you don't. Um, not on this occasion. I think, I think the others should do the work. You're due a holiday, I believe. Now, somebody just to remember. Rowena. John. No, it's not John. I can't remember myself. Hebrews 7. Hebrews 7. In Hebrews 7, we read of Jesus being alive for all time to stand in the gap for us. Make a note of that, if you would. That's all, all you'll need to, to tell me again in a minute. Jesus is spoken of in Hebrews 7 as being alive for all time to stand in the gap for us. The writer says in verse 24, because Jesus lives forever, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him 
because he always lives to intercede for them. I bet you've drifted over that verse a million times. He always lives to intercede for them. If it's there, it must be important. We've seen it happening for Peter. We've seen it happening for the disciples. And now, as the New Testament develops and the church is is underway and meeting many problems, the writer of the Hebrews says, Jesus goes on being alive. He goes on standing in the gap to intercede for them. To intercede for those who come to God through him. He who is holy, blameless, pure, and set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, meets our need. Now from where we are, um, on the stage of life, if you like, we don't always feel our needs are met. We feel there are a lot of muddles. We feel there are a lot of pains. Well, there are, aren't there? It's fact. But looking at the subject of Jesus, our intercessor, and what he does for us, Somehow the telescope needs to be turned round. And we need to look down at the other way and say, actually, what is happening in eternity is the thing that is important. Eternity is the durable, um, pre-existent state for all of us, before us and before time. And it is the one that will endure in the end. It is time that is the passing experience. It is time that will come to an end. It is time that won't go on forever. And so as we struggle to get hold of the Lord Jesus, perfect God and perfect man, and the eternity to which we belong, but which we don't fully perceive, struggle we must. And in a celebrity-obsessed and internet-driven culture, our idea of perfection is much more subjective than that and much more self-centered. We think perfection's a perfect relationship, a perfect home, a perfect holiday, a perfect vicar. Well, two perfect vicars if you're lucky. (laughs) In your dreams. And a a perfect sunset. You know, we think these are the the perfect things, the things that are in the glosses, the things that, you know, on the box, the things that, you know, drift into our smartphones and, uh, and laptops and all the rest. No, these aren't perfection. He who is holy, blameless, pure, and set apart from sinners is exalted above the heavens and stands before the maker of all for us. That is intercession. Somebody who is there on our behalf. Whatever has happened, whatever is happening, whatever will happen. Jesus, our perfect saviour. And the last reference is... um, 1 Timothy 2.5. Who can, who can just remember that one for me? I'll probably forget to ask anyway, Keith. Thank you. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for us all. And Paul just drags it all together in a wonderful sort of way. He says, There's one person who's your go-between. There's one person who's standing there between the maker of all and all of you. And it is the man, Christ Jesus, one mediator between God and man. How many gods are there? Well, Paul assumes he brought up a Jew, just one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, drilled into every Jew from the beginning. And how many mediators are there? Just one. 
the go-between, the perfect mediator between earth and heaven, between heaven and earth. And he's the one on our side with the 100% proven track record of sacrificial love. It's good, isn't it? It's good news. Sometimes at school, the teacher picks two people as captains of two teams. It's always an anxious moment, unless you're particularly good at the game, the sport that's intended. And each captain has the opportunity to choose one after the other, the players that they want. And, of course, the best ones are grabbed straight away. The mediocre ones go next. And after that, the teacher who pities it all says, oh, you, 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 and you, you go to the rest, because they know it's going to be excruciating for the last person to be chosen, who is remembered in the class for another week or month. What's amazing when we become Christians is that we find Jesus was and is on our side, on our side. And then it's even more amazing because we suddenly discover that we are on his side. If God is for us, who can be against us, says Paul? God is on our side. And even more amazing when he says, you are my friends. You are inheritors of the kingdom with me. So first of all, we realize he's on our side because we're self-centered as we come to Christ. But when we stop and read a bit more of the Bible, we discover that not only that, we are on his side. And that's even more impressive in a way. So he's our complete answer. So summing up, what do we have? John was the first, uh, the first chapter was... Great. Thank you very much. That's wonderful. And I want you to take from that the example of the individual being prayed for by Jesus to be strengthened and then to do something as a result, to turn around and to strengthen and to encourage others. The second one was David had... John 17. Yep. Indeed. And the the prayer of John 17, though it seems very abstract, is a wonderful prayer. It's a fantastic prayer. Praying that God's glory will be manifest. Praying that the disciples will be protected. Praying that the church will flourish. And it will, because he will cause it to do so, even in the midst of the suffering, the unparalleled persecution, which we have seen in recent years and even more in the present time. And then the third one, Rowena, I think you had the... Thank you. Jesus alive at all times, standing in the gap to intercede. That was Hebrews 7. There's a great chapter. And finally, the thoughts in one way are all pulled together in... um... Keith. Thank you very much. The idea of that was that at least four people will go home from church this morning having one scripture in their mind. (laughs) And so I'll know it was worth coming. The individual, the, the, the disciples, the church, and then the whole of the believing, uh, company of people down all the ages. The circle widens and widens. 
all through the intercession and the representation of Jesus, and especially the laying down of his life on the cross. The response for us, I think, too, is to be those who will represent others. We are to be imitators of Christ. Paul said, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Well, it all sort of knocks on down the line, doesn't it? But in representing others, it means that our prayer life needs to be given a kick very often. I've found that since I've uh, retired from vicaring, um, uh, that um, all my, my, my uh, ready power and influence and control over things um, through, through the days of the week has gone. But one thing has not gone, and that is the call and the responsibility to pray. And therefore it is exposed much more, because it's, it's much more obvious. And so I know that that has to survive. And I know too the temptation that is there not to persevere, the temptation to give up, the temptation to forget that there is a man in heaven representing me and who is there at great cost and the one to whom I owe my present life. So whether you're 13 or 83 or somewhere in between, think about how you can just renew and redouble your commitment to prayer in your own experience, in your own life, through this coming week. It might be just thinking wordlessly that God in Christ gave himself for you. And beginning your prayer with, I was going to say 30 seconds silence. Have you ever begun prayer, or do you ever begin prayer with 60 seconds silence? It seems like an eternity, but it's a wonderful exercise just to stop everything rushing on that there is in our minds and lives and to focus upon the Lord himself. Take a couple of verses of a psalm to do it or whatever means you will. But to start with that and then, as I've always felt we should teach our children and one another within our prayer to include something of thanksgiving, something of repentance, and something of intercession. Thank you. Sorry. Please. It's as simple as that. We need a structure to to make our, our prayer life survive, I think. I do. We need pegs to hang things on. Sometimes we can throw it all out of the window and do what is on our heart and mind to do and what scripture prompts us to do in other ways. But we also at times need that structure. So I commend it to you. And I commend you to William Temple's famous words, which you'll have heard probably this month already. When I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't pray, they don't happen. We get bogged down by the unanswered prayer bit and what happens if and and why isn't it quicker and why does this happen and not that happen. And uh, yet, let's look at it positively. William Temple saying, when I pray, coincidences do happen. And so your prayer for yourselves, for Portsmouth, the UK, Europe, the Middle East, Tim and Rachel Green soon reallocating to Asia uh, with InterServe and going to be in Kuala Lumpur, we hear if you're uh, in touch with their news as, as we are, gives us many ways of praying into the life of the world beyond the street we live in. I remember years ago preaching a series on prayer in St. Jude's and uh, We shared it out amongst ourselves, those of us who are doing it. At the end, I thought, what has been learnt? 
I wasn't sure. And I think it was one of the things that prompted us in future years to say, let's take three Wednesdays over the summer period and go and prayer walk the parish. Let's pray for the businesses, let's pray for the shops, let's pray for the residences, let's pray for the pubs, the clubs, all who live in them, all who attend them. Not living in the pub, you understand. But... Um, um, all who are involved, and go down on the common, the seafront, and wherever people meet and gather, and pray for the coming of the Spirit upon this parish and this area, and upon South Sea. And, well, how has God answered those prayers? We prayed for all sorts of things, for the health and well-being of the economic life of the precinct too. And there are still one or two shops there that are key to the survival of the rest, and key to some of the economic performance of South Sea. Now, that's not an area of prayer you'd expect us to, to be talking about. But you never know, do you? And so it is right to pray for every part of society to be under the power and the influence of God himself. It's easy to approve and applaud the idea of prayer, but be regularly encouraged to do it by the faithful example of the perfect man who stands in heaven, your loving saviour, and the one who represents and prays for you today. Amen. Thank you, John. So let's